listening to Fiddleheads, the Deadwood podcast at Movieville. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be discussing uh, episode three of season one, Reconnoitering the Rim, which is a uh, term used to describe sort of staking out, I guess it sort of has, has a military um, connotation by definition, but uh, it's the idea of like sort of uh, surveying or, or um, you know, sort of scouting out uh, an area. Um, in this case, it had to do with uh, staking out sort of the gold claim that uh, that Brom Garrett was uh, had been duped into buying. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's it's a real heavy word for a really simple concept. Yeah, it's I a term. Say. I mean, it's a term. It really just means go look yeah, around. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I, the only reason I'm defining it, Josh, is because last week you had a little bit of trouble with it, and so I wanted to. <laughs> I did. I'd never heard that word before. Because why would anyone use that word if all they mean is go look well, at it? I mean, I, I don't know where I'd heard it before this, but I, I'm fairly, like, I don't know, maybe my family's just weird, but I feel like my mom's used it quite a bit. Well, I like that, I actually, I I like its use in this episode because it's how, um, it's how Al gets. Oh, he uses um, the high flutin' word in order to get, yeah. Exactly, yeah, it's it's exactly, he uses it and he's like, whoa, did you reconnoiter the rim? And then he's, uh, he's like, whoa, well, hmm, <laughs> that's an interesting. <laughs> maybe uh, I should do that, yes, yes. Yeah, that's a smart <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I, I want to back up a little bit before we get to the uh, to to old Brom and his his little uh, little side story here. So I want to point out. I think this is an important uh, theme that appears in this show quite a bit, and it probably doesn't mean anything at the moment, but it will over time. Um, there is a running theme in this show, uh, very almost Shakespearean, Hamlet esque of um, people talking to inanimate objects or things that can't respond or uh, animals. Um, and sort of, it's a, it, it, there are moments where you can hear an inner monologue. I think it's fascinating because you don't get that in a show very often and characters don't generally monologue in shows. I feel that's a very rare thing. People don't monologue in anything except for theater for the most part. Um, hmm. I, I don't know if that's... I think that's a fair thing to say. It doesn't really happen very much unless you have voiceovers and heads. Uh, you know, it's like a, a voiceover to, to indicate internal thoughts. Um, the show opens with uh, opens with one um, with, uh, what's his face? Uh, do, do, do. Oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, oh, what is the opening? I, I watched oh, a couple days ago. Ellsworth, exactly. right. So yes, Ellsworth yes. is talking. I think there's a dog there that he's talking to. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're because they're waiting for Garrett to get there. Right? Yeah. Well, no. He's just out with it. He's just looking at his claim. Um, uh, uh, right, right. But right. yeah. So he's having this whole conversation. So in this moment, it's sort of the introduction of this idea. And I you know, like it's not to spoil anything, but this is a recurring theme. And in fact, in this episode, we get another scene a little bit later where Jane's talking to the girl who can't respond, uh, where we get to just hear what she thinks about Bill and the rest of the situation. And she's sort of talking to her as if she's able to perceive you know things but it's really more for the audience and a way of getting a look at jane and getting a look at these characters without anyone else's influence nobody's trying they're not talking to try and impress anyone to try and trick anyone to try and do anything it's really just you know their own internal thoughts and it's i think actually also very human you know the the idea of talking to yourself it's something that have, everyone does to some extent in various capacities, sometimes out loud, sometimes internally. And 
the show makes it very distinct. Um, but I think that's it's very you know whether it's Jane, whether it's Ellsworth, whether it's other characters, you know, that we'll get to at some point in the future, um, they all do it, no matter their status or position in society. And I think it's really cool to have have those moments uh, to to look at to look at those characters. Well, it also speaks to the time period in a way, I think, because just in terms of the way we think about, uh, you know, the Old West, the Wild West, it's a time for uh, men when you had to be uh, hard and tough and you couldn't really, uh, you know, this is uh, not unique to this time period, but in terms of not being able to show your emotions or what you really think or feel, you just have to, you know, be like uh, what Tony Soprano called the strong silent type. Um and if you were a woman, you just had to be quiet <laughs> all the time. Um, but it, it's it comes amounts to the same thing, which is that, especially with the Jane scene, she's put in the situation where it feels like she can finally say out loud to someone the things that she you know feels about Bill. Because who else is she going right. to tell those things to, right? Um, and, and so it's and I guess Ellsworth with his dog probably to an extent too. It's like maybe and sometimes maybe it's just like you need someone to talk to. And maybe a dog who's not going, you know, something that can't judge you or uh, react in a way that you can't predict or uh, control. It's just, it's it's a way, it's a it's an avenue for these characters, I guess, to express themselves in a way that society really doesn't, um, really doesn't well, like Well, and them. they certainly weren't going to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, so yeah, so it's just something to keep an eye out for in the future. And in terms of how it's used, I just remember there's one particular one which anybody who's seen this show before knows exactly what I'm talking about because it's probably the most famous thing from the show. Um, but uh, and and oh, I can't even get into it. But but it's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, but there's some amazing monologues in this show, so just hold out for that. Uh, but anyway, so uh, first of all, it, I I want to talk about this intro because after Ellsworth um, is having this little monologue and uh, we, we cut to a funeral scene and once again we have Bullock at a funeral um, which I know he was you know he had he took part in this but Bill doesn't show up to this uh, little event um, and I think it's it's interesting to see him first of all his relationship with the with Preacher Smith continue to grow um, but also the fact that he seems to find it important to go to these funerals. I don't know. I think I feel like it says something interesting about his character. Yeah, well, it's not clear why. Well, first of all, I want to say this scene is hilarious because <laughs> of the guy oh, who keeps yeah. sneezing. Um, I think we talked about this last week, the way that the show um, likes to undercut the preacher with these, uh, kind of, <laughs> yeah. with these little moments of absurdity. Uh, very, very funny. Um, but yeah, Bullock... It's interesting the reason he keeps we we don't really have a sense of why he keeps doing this. Um I part of me has the impression that he's doing it uh like for the preacher's benefit like cuz he cuz they, they cuz he gets along with him and um you know I don't think he it's such a weird friendship. What too. else is he going to do? It is. Yeah, I mean I'm not sure what he what I I don't know why he likes him. It doesn't seem like he really just genuinely likes him as a person at all uh or if he has any he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would just befriend someone for because he thinks it'll get him some material benefit uh but we also and we also don't really know maybe he just yeah maybe he just genuinely does think it's important and worthwhile to uh to uh see people buried even though it's like yeah he, the guy would have still been buried and gotten his you know funeral if 
even if Sep wasn't there. Maybe it's a holdover. Um, but yeah, it does say something maybe, about him. Well, first of all, I think it's just a sense of responsibility, right? So he feels responsible for what happened. And so that's probably part of it. Uh, and the other part of it might be maybe that's something he did as a marshal and that's something he just hasn't let go. Um, he maybe. hasn't let go of that. Maybe yeah. when you know people were hung or whatever, he would go to the funerals because that was something he felt responsible for. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's we, we don't have any evidence to suggest this, but it's just a just a guess. Um, so yeah, uh, that so that seems prefaced um, or sort of prefaces the next moment, which is uh, Cy Tolliver rolling into town. So this is yes, this is pretty I major. Was, uh... Yeah, well, I, I was I was happy to see this actor, um, who whose I'm happy to see this actor whose name I now can't remember. Um, Powers Booth. Powers Booth yes, great, yeah. very. I like because it's a. It's funny I forgot it because it's such a memorable name. Uh, but no, he's I I really like Powers Booth. Um, and I was I was pleasantly surprised to see him pop up. Yeah, he's, he's a major so character this, in the um, show. So I'm I'm glad you're. I'm happy. I'm glad. Yeah, well, I'm glad to see that this is gonna that this uh, plot with the Bell Union is gonna. Is going to last a little longer because I could. At first, I kind of got the impression that, just the way that this episode is structured, I started to get this feeling of like. These two episode arcs, and I'll be, we we haven't seen. Well, I didn't say it wasn't a two episode <laughs> arc. Who knows? Well, I mean, it, it very possibly could be, I guess. But um, I got the impression that uh, we we saw the first half of this Bella Union kind of story, and then you know the second half would, if not fully concluded, then at least see it. Uh, mostly developed and then they could kind of start on another whatever that means i don't know if it means you know in the next episode just al burns right. it to the ground or in the next episode just something happens that kind of clears up the rivalry or accelerates the rivalry i don't, or I don't know but um i i like first of all i like the idea of a, of the show of, of an hour-long drama like this structuring itself in in that way it's kind of unique a lot of shows will either have just the you know, single episode story, or they'll have the kind of long, uh, season-long arcs. Uh, but I like the idea of these kind of mini arcs, of just uh, kind of peppering them in and having them overlap with other things, and it's it's all kind of contributing to one larger story. But there's uh, there's little that uh, there's little besides the development of each individual character and maybe their relationships that uh, that goes much longer than. Uh, a few, not then a few episodes. Not to say that that's not a major uh, component of the storytelling, obviously, but I like the idea of not really dragging out or preserving these stories for for maybe longer well, than they can go. I think this show's go. been very clear so far in terms of the characters. It well, I mean, who knows who's going to live and who's going to die or whatever, but uh, because that certainly seems to have happened at least once an episode so far. Um, yeah, exactly. Which I didn't remember uh, being quite so frequent. Uh, but what's interesting is. You know, I think we have a pretty good sense of how they're doling out character development. I mean, just looking at how, you know, Trixie hasn't died, right? She hasn't she hasn't died or anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing's happened to her. Um, so it implies that she's at least been a three-episode arc person, which is more than we could say of, say, Tim Driscoll or one of those other characters. And hmm. but, and yet, so for the characters with for whom there is very slow character development, I wonder if that's a, a, a hint that's the fact that they might live longer. So the fact that we have this three episodes of learning his her relationship with Al, uh, you know, and we've yeah, and we still don't fully understand the extent of that. I, I think it was it last episode or this episode where um she kind of tries to she tr- she tries to seduce or distract Seth during the negotiation, 
That and, was last um, episode. He's just not having it. That was last. Yes, that was last episode. So the idea is that um, she is kind of working in partnership with Al in this instance, and like she just knows what to do. This is some. This is a trick that she and Al mm. that Al has her play basically uh, in situations like this, and they just kind of have an understanding of how it works. Uh, that was a really. I don't know if we talked about it, but that was an interesting moment in terms of developing what their relationship actually means, uh, because it's that kind of. It requires a a partnership, I, I think, that uh, hasn't been fully explored. Well, but I also, th- that well, I think, I also think that it, what's interesting in this episode with them, since we're on Trixie and, and Al, I might as well, um, it, this episode is weird because, and I, I honestly have no recollection of this whatsoever, uh, we don't know anything about what the relationship was before the show started, uh, but this episode where he's she's scraping his feet um, yeah, implies that they're only recently close, and maybe that she just joins the gem not that long ago or that he recently started favoring her or that something recently happened but it implies that their relationship's fairly new because it, and it makes everything make more sense the gun that she puts on the table in the beginning indicates that and and then the fact that he asks you know was that for me and that the fact that he's not sure if she's going to try and kill him all implies that they don't know she does he doesn't know what their relationship is yet because they actually don't know they're feeling each other out to see, you know, what kind of, what is this going to be? Maybe he slept with her once or twice before, or and he sent for her, and then, but he, she was, you know, maybe ready to kill him, or maybe she wasn't sure if she wanted to kill him or not. But again, that indicates the beginning of a relationship. But the fact that we're starting to see this progression, where at the end, you know, the last thing he says to her is, you know, please, can you, you know, scrape my other foot? Um, and he makes it very clear that he's asking her to, not telling her to. Which implies that there's this, it's either a long-term relationship that's sort of developed to this point, which seems less likely than he's beginning to trust her more, which he makes very clear as well, that he, he clearly trusts her over most other people, um, even though he sends her out of the room while they're having that conversation. Uh, I, and I, I don't know, it seems to imply that it's a fairly new relationship, which would make a lot more sense at this point. Yeah, well, it's also, I mean, the foot scraping was interesting because I I got the impression that, because they put the stuff away when, uh, who is it, when Doherty mm-hmm. comes in? Um, or is it uh, Farnham? I don't remember. No, no, it's Doherty, I, I uh, think. It is already, okay. Yeah, so when he comes in, they put, like, like, he puts it away, like he doesn't want Doherty to see what's going on. Um, I don't really know what the significance of foot scraping was at the time, um, but, I, yeah, I got the impression that either... Uh, he very, Al didn't he, want anyone to know that. Yeah, this it's was, that he, Yeah, exactly. He's not just yeah. having sex with her; she's having like you know, this, you know, gross. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of thing that a couple would do. You know, like that's the kind of thing you might ask like a spouse to do, maybe you know, uh, in a certain circumstance. But you certainly wouldn't ask some random person to do that for you. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, it's like you get the impression that Al who seems like a character who is just always wants to be in control of his, uh, of how people perceive him. It's really important that people, uh, don't think he's too close with Trixie. Um, which of course, uh, in turn, the implication is that he is unusually right. close with Trixie and he's aware of that. Uh, so th- I think that's what ultimately we get out of this scene. And that's really, really curious. It is curious. And I, I find it interesting. And what the, the reason I talk about it now is the parallel to Sai and Josie. Josie being um, the blonde woman who was uh, also responded or was in the initial meeting at uh, the the uh, at the other saloon when uh, Al comes over 
and we haven't really met her yet in any sort of capacity, but the implication there is that she's also... It, it, the implication is that she's also a prostitute, but she jumps into the conversation and is clearly present for that entire encounter as if she's equal to everyone else there. Yeah, the, uh, the, the impression I got is that her and Sai and the other guy, Eddie, are like... They're like the three partners, mm. basically, who are in charge, and they're all maybe in charge of a different facet of, of the operation. Right. But they are all kind of they have equal share in, in the leadership. Yeah, and it's she. And what's also interesting is that Al doesn't, uh, he doesn't question that at all. He has no, you know, he doesn't even seem to react as if as though it's weird that he that she uh, speaks up. In of the course, meeting. that's his shtick, right? It's his shtick is being friendly and sort of true. innocent and not reacting to anything, but clearly processing it all. <laughs> And trying to figure out that's true. So it's it's hard to tell actually what he's thinking in this moment, but <laughs> or in any moment, right. I guess. But yeah, he it's it doesn't seem we haven't gotten anyone yet who has given the impression that it is uh, unusual for her to be uh, in the position that she's in. And I don't know. Maybe it's just because like maybe she's in charge of the prostitution angle of the business, mm-hmm. and you know Eddie is in charge of the gambling, and Sai is in charge of right. The yeah, hotel she definitely seems whatever. like the the madam, you know, in this case. Right. Exactly, exactly. Um, um, so maybe that's maybe for that reason it's just not considered unusual. But I mean, I don't know if there's a a uh, madam at Al's place, but certainly, uh, or, you know, I don't remember. But certainly, if there is, uh, she does not hold the same level of power over the oh, <laughs> over no, the certainly. business no, as no, Al and, does. And there isn't. I don't think there is one. And I think that that's a very interesting and different uh, spin. And it's also something very interesting. Just a complete side note: the dynamics of a female-run brothel versus a male-run brothel are very, very different. And I think that's a dynamic that, if this, if that is the dynamic that they have going on here, might differentiate the Bella Union from um, the gem. That's something we should definitely keep in mind uh, as we move forward. Just just because it seems like... I, I mean, I, again, I never really looked at this from that perspective, but you know, gender roles are certainly an interesting element in the show, and I think it'll be interesting in the context of prostitution, which seems inherently problematic in some ways, depending on your viewpoint. Um, certainly, it takes on different connotations, depending on who's in charge. Right? So, yeah, it's interesting. It's also interesting to see that, like the parallel between Josie and Trixie, where Trixie's not in charge of anything, but also has favoritism from the person in charge. You know, the person who runs the whole the whole joint. That's interesting. Um, so, yeah, I also like how they immediately size him up as someone who would if not now, at some point, we'll burn down the Bell Union. <laughs> Which I think is pretty fantastic for their first encounter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, yeah, I was going to say, I agree with you. It's, uh, that, like I said, I kind of got the, I almost got the impression that that was just going to happen in the next right, episode. Right, right, you were saying, you were saying, yeah. And it's just, it's it, whether or not it's going to happen or whether he actually would do that, I think it's, pretty like they they just immediately knew he's a dangerous dangerous person uh and as we know that is pretty accurate to um to Al's origin. Well, yeah they and they must have known that they must have known that even going in because they had um uh oh god freaking names um farnham yep uh yeah he right? probably had said yeah so they yeah farnham says that he had no you know intention to betray al but i think it's probably i, I think he it's he probably you know mentioned to them that al uh, was someone to watch out for at least, you know. I think that's definitely true. And that that whole thing was really interesting. yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole thing was we really interesting. We'll get to that, that later. But um, 
But before we get into Farnham, I just want to mention, I, this was the other thing I didn't mention before, this, to segue from the funeral scene into the, the Cytolver scene. Uh, Future Smith specifically says to Seth, he, he's like preaching at him about making friends with your enemies and then Cytolver rolls in, which I love the idea of that because it's, it's one thing applying <laughs> to a completely different situation and also Seth you know, this sort of moralizing at Seth, which also has its own internal meaning. Um, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see when the show does that kind of thing. And it's funny because the show doesn't seem like a show that's pushing any sort of morals. But, um, you know, Al certainly isn't going to do that with, with Cy. It's, it's, it doesn't seem like. He seems pretty dead set <laughs> on being uh, adversarial. And uh, Seth, I don't think, has any patience or, you know, self-control whatsoever. So, um it's interesting that message float out well, yeah, there, you know. What's interesting is that when you said that, it made me think, like, Al seems, uh, he, he, on the surface, he seems really competitive, but he doesn't want to compete. He just wants to always be winning. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He, he's obviously with the, uh, the Bella Union. He's like, he doesn't, he just wants it to be gone so that he doesn't have to deal with it and he can be the, you know, the only place in town. He doesn't want any business competition. He is obsessed with this, you know, paranoid idea that Seth and, um, Wait, but talk and, about vindication. Uh, Somebody gonna... said something right out from under him. Yeah, well, and he, as soon as the Bella Union rolls in, he's like, oh, those two, they're in on it. Um, all, like, all of a sudden, they're, you know, he's back to, distrusting them as though they're part of this completely right. other thing that's going on that he doesn't like. And, you know, what he ins eventually insists on in this, in this episode is that one of his demands to sell them the lot is that, you know, no gambling and no uh, prostitution right. and no uh, drinking. And it's like, they're running a hardware store. <laughs> I don't know where he gets the idea that that is going well, to be... Well, his ultimate demand, you know, it was actually really smart, was, don't you, you can never sell to Bella Union people. And Seth's like, you know, no. And then he says, fine. Which Al then reneges on because he's like, you know, it was a test basically to see if they were really associated with the Bella Union. It's a very clever, it's a clever test and it's something I don't know why he didn't just do before. You know, like, you can never sell to, yeah. you know, Wild Bill Hickok. Okay. Then why did, you know, if they had agreed to that, then he would have known that he's not associated with Wild Bill Hickok. Hickok. You know, like, yeah, well, it's a simple, simple test. What he, what he says is like, you know... Uh, you can't. I think what he says is you can't have any business dealings uh, with the Bell Union. And Seth sees through it and he says, "What do you mean we can't sell to them?" And you're right; it is a test. Uh, he's trying to suss it, and it makes me. It's interesting. I wonder what would have happened if Seth hadn't. If they had just agreed to that term, if Seth had. I think thought he probably that, still would have. Re uh, I think his whole point was to just get them to see. To see, because if like if they wouldn't ever deal with the Bell Union, then you know whatever their supposed partnership was would be worthless. That's true, I guess. Yeah, it wouldn't matter anyway. Um, but yeah, it's and I think it's. But I think Al learns something about about Seth there, um, in that he picks up on it, uh, and that Al has to kind of go back a little and say, "All right, you can sell them your goods." And now, what's ultimately revealed is that uh, just by him saying that and Al saying what he said is that they have no connection to them right. whatsoever, um, because if they did. Seth probably, that wouldn't have even occurred to Seth because the first thing he would have been thinking about would have been their secret business arrangement, not can we literally sell to them in our hardware store. Um, so it's, I think, Al learns uh, something really important about Seth uh, here, which is that, first of all, he's not, probably, <laughs> obviously we know he's not, but that he's not, uh, you know, out to get Al, but also that he's uh, way too sharp 
to for Al to pull one over mm. on him. You know, it's funny. We assume he's not with. I I just wondered why we have that assumption that he's not out to get Al. Like, I I believe that it's too. True. I he just... I mean he's obviously really antagonistic towards him immediately. Yeah. Yeah, we talked. We've talked about that. Um, that's cur- yeah. He 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 definitely has like a bad vibe about Al in a way that nobody else does. Um, we have no reason, like, but we just assume that like, oh, Al's being paranoid. But we, but why? Why do we think that? I just. Well, I guess it's because I mean, we we have no reason to think that you know, if there's some big twist that uh, that Seth has been in on it with with Bella Union and with Wild Bill the whole time. <laughs> I mean, it can't be with. He can't have been in with Wild Bill because we've seen them interact without Al being there. Um, and that would be one hell of a writing feat to, to write around that fact in those scenes. Um, which, I mean, hey, if that happens, that's that's that'd be pretty incredible. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think we, we, we just kind of have to make the assumption because I, I, I feel like we would know it would be it would be the reason why he came to town, first of all. Uh, and even though we don't specifically know why he just decided to stop marshalling. I don't know. I I, I think I, – I just don't see the show kind of setting up that me, as me a neither. twist. Like, me you neither, know. and I'm not trying to you know throw it out. As, I just find it interesting that like we just assume that this isn't the case, but we don't really have any evidence either way. I guess maybe because we don't have evidence and we sort of assume innocent until proven guilty, uh, that we're not going to be suspicious of it. But also we sort of are led to believe that Seth's not a bad guy, and we've had a lot of evidence that Al is, and so – to assume that we might have assumed if if the the roles were reversed that Al might have shown up and was trying to get rid of Seth, but that Seth would show up and try and get rid of Al. Why? Why would he do that? That's a weird, weird choice. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely agree there. Uh, so what did you what did you think of this poker game with um with Bill and uh, Jack McCall? <laughs> I love this. I love this little subplot that we only get in like you know one brief scene every episode. But yeah, and this guy Jack McCall, who just the only, his only purpose is to annoy Bill at poker. Right. <laughs> it's really funny. It's uh, I, I like um, I mean, the, I got the uh, poker subplot in general gets kind of tragic at the end of the episode because Bill just uh, it, it's clear that he's a gambling addict. I mean, it's it's kind of clear in this scene. Um, but removed from context, this scene you get you just get the impression that he's you know he's a high stakes gambler and he knows he's gonna er, and he knows he's gonna win so he you know he's comfortable putting down his guns on the table. Um, also, a great moment when he whips it out to put it on the table and Jack like oh, ducks. Oh yeah, well because it looks like he's about <laughs> to shoot someone, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, and of course you know intentional on his part, but yeah, it's like <laughs> I love. Um, but yeah, like I said, it gets it gets tragic at the end of the episode when we. And I love Bill in this episode. Everything we learn about him, the more we learn about him, the more I love him as a character. Really? Interesting. And just everything uh, he does in this episode, I'm just like, oh, man, he's just... He, I, I came into the show, we talked about it in the first episode, I came into the show with kind of preconceptions about Wild Bill the outlaw, and, you know, in real life, but then based on those preconceptions, I had preconceptions about how he would be depicted in any media. Um, but... The more I see of him, the more I'm like, man, this guy's just a good guy. Yeah, but it's no, so funny that you have like this idea of him even, as being an outlaw. Like, as far as I know, he was always a, a, a marshal. I know, but like Wild Bill Hickok. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's just maybe it's just like the name and and the uh, the image of the Wild West. But I don't know why I thought that. You're right. I don't think I. Maybe I just didn't know anything about him, so I just, <laughs> just had an assumption about Wild. Because I mean, you hear the name Wild Bill Hickok, and I think I don't think it's unfair to 
if I told you that name and said this is this was a guy in the Wild West, what do you think? Right, he did? right. You might not <laughs> I don't think I think it's probably fair, you know. But um, yeah, like I, you know, just the more I see him, the more I'm like, man, you know, in a way that even Seth isn't, even though he's kind of nominally the quote-unquote protagonist. Um, yeah, it's, Bill just seems like it's just a nice, you know, he's the way he sleeps on the floor outside so that the little girl can sleep right. in a bed. It's oh man, what a yeah, sweetheart this guy, this yeah, guy no, is. And, and- and then of course you're not the first person who I've like watched this show with where they just really like Bill. I, and it's so funny because like I remember watching it being, I, I didn't dislike Bill. I just had no real opinion on him. And then you know, it, but people seem to really fall for him. You know, I, it's, it's it's very interesting to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, and like I said, it's it makes the ending of the episode so much you know more crushing oh, yeah. uh, when he. Decides that he, when he decides that maybe you know I really want to talk having about friends isn't for him and all he has is yeah. poker. Um, th- I mean that whole scene was just we'll get to it at the end, but uh, man, yeah. so sad. And it's also really good and also I think weirdly relevant to the past couple weeks. Um, so I do want to talk about that, like in in <laughs> pop culture. Um, but anyway, uh, before we get there, uh, so there was something I just wanted to bring up. Oh, so after that poker game, I really like that shot of him leaving, where it's like blindingly white outside and he leaves as almost a silhouette like he's going into the light oh yeah isn't that interesting that yeah that was weird that was like that was funny i was like is he get like is he about to like get did, shot in the street he, like die usually, that's what a yeah. shot like that signifies yeah is this, is this all a dream yeah, like right. a dying dream um yeah because every when you see that shot usually that's kind of if not literally that's what it signifies is like someone is moving on or you know or passing on yeah there was a it was a an odd shot, although I guess in this instance, you know, the poker kind of represents him at his nadir, like rock bottom for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I, I could see it in a more positive way. Is like when he leaves the poker table, he's move, he's he's moving into a more better place. Yeah, exactly, like a better version of himself. Um, and that's what he kind of lives in for most of the episode. When you know, when he agrees to go, and you know, by the way, when um, oh god, what's I swear I'm going to get all these names eventually. What's the name of his friend? Charlie. Um, Charlie. Charlie. Uh, when Charlie goes to ask uh, uh, Seth and Saul if they want to have dinner, that was just adorable. And it's because it's I so know. like, it, again, it's just they, they have such a sweet friendship where he like he genuinely wants Bill to have a social circle uh, that's outside of the poker table because he knows it'll be good for right, him. And it gets him outside. And, and I think, what by are, the you know, way, I think the light also just, you know, forget about symbolism. I think there's something we, we, we miss by not being in the Old West. But it's probably just really dark inside buildings, and you don't even realize how dark it is until you go outside and you go, holy crap, I was sitting in, like, candlelight, and now I'm outside, you know? It probably just felt like that, you know, that sort of, that contrast. Uh, But yeah, you know, he's like, he's he's asking him on a date, you know, like on a friend date. He's setting up play dates for Bill. I mean, it's crazy. Well, yeah, no, doesn't he say, like, I feel like I should, I feel feel like I should be getting your posies or something? (laughs) (laughs) It's a great line. Um, Yeah, no, exactly. And and it's sad because it ends up not working out and then it does kind of work out, but then it doesn't because, you know, of the circumstances. But yeah, so that was a, we'll get back to Bill later. I think that's an important thing we should come back to. Um, So yeah, you want to talk about... uh, Arnhem and his whole situation here, uh, where he oh yeah well because uh, I mean, that's sort of a, a a running theme throughout the show but the episode but we can talk about it all in one little arc. Well, the 
the the first uh, time we see Farnham in this episode is I think it's it's separate from the rest of it, but I think it's it's uh, it, it it informs what we come to understand about his character. Um, he's really it, it's when Jane is trying to get uh, you know is trying to get him to make room in the right, hotel yeah. for the girl. Um, and oh, and by we didn't even mention I was a little surprised at the beginning of the episode that they just come right back to town. Uh, because it seemed like they were way out, way out there at the end of the last episode. I think they were just, just. I mean, it's a frontier town, so everything's a frontier except for the town. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's pretty I easy guess. to go into the prairie because <laughs> the prairie's right there. Uh, yeah, I guess um, so. Yeah, but I, you but know, I think I think in this yes, case I, they justify it immediately because they have to figure out how they, you know, why are they back? Oh, I mean, because of this wolf fight. That's true, and I mean, I guess from a storytelling perspective, it doesn't matter anymore because you know she's not a threat anymore, really, um, to Al. Right. But yeah, it's. In in this scene, she's trying to get the room, and Farnham is really like is really shouting her down. Like uh, it's clear he has no respect right. for her. He does not care about this girl. And then Bill, you know, walks in and he turns into a puddle. He's like, "Oh, oh Mr. Hickok, oh yeah. well." Huh. <laughs> and um and Bill, like I said, does a very selfless thing. He just he agrees to go sleep outside, basically. Uh, he says, "Well, okay, if if you if you say so." Um, so I I like what we get. What I got from Farnham in this scene is that he's a guy who. Will uh, he's totally willing to like exercise whatever minuscule power he feels he has over people? But as soon as someone walks in who's clearly, uh, you know, more powerful than him, he just melts. Oh, yeah. He just can't handle it at all. He can't stand his ground. Or um, worse. And we get that on a or worse, and we get that on a much bigger scale with Al. You know, a yeah. little later. Or worse, he just repeats everything the uh, the powerful person says. Oh yeah, that was, <laughs> that was really funny. That was a great joke. Yeah, that was running throughout the entire episode, <laughs> even at the end when he finally gets him to, you know, forgive him, and he just repeats himself again. And he's like, "You just can't help yourself." <laughs> it's like a nervous habit, you know. It, I was pointing out that he's sort of a yes man earlier on, um, like a you know last episode of the episode before, but it's even worse than that. He just repeats everything like it's as if he. Like he doesn't trust what he heard, or he wants to make sure he gets it right, or he's just—I don't know. It's just, but it's highly. Ir- I could see why Al would find it irritating. Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. So, but I also found it interesting that Farnham sold him out. I thought that would, I, I again, I don't remember this at all. Um, it seemed I it was not what I would have expected from him. Like, yeah, he seems like a weasel, but I figured he was just a yes man. Um, but even he's like I said, each of these characters end up having their own little. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like interesting uh, element. I get the impression that I get the impression that Farnham, like he, ge- I don't, he genuinely didn't think he was going to get found out, right? Um, which is why he was so confident, probably, in doing it in the first place. I think if he thought that there was a sliver of a chance that Al would find out what he was doing, there's no way he would have done it. And it's pretty clear that, like, he, you know, he claims that he had no idea what was going on, but like, there's no way that that's possibly true. <laughs> if he was the middleman for this deal, he probably had to know like what was getting built on the land. Um, so he, he made this deal thinking basically that he could, uh, you know, that he would be able to get away with it, uh, scot-free and that he would have a good enough excuse to placate Al. And there's, he, he's not the kind of guy who would ever do anything, uh, you know, if there was a chance that it could go wrong. And, which is why it's so amazing that he's so... God, he's so mind-bogglingly stupid. He walks into the Bell Union, which, oh my God. the door of which you can see from <laughs> Al's office. 
It's right across the street. Going the back way or to like from the side. He just walks in. Unbelievable. But you know, that's a yeah. That's the that's why you know he again he thinks he can just he thinks his excuse is good enough basically, and the problem is that when he when t- the time comes to give that excuse, like I said, he just melts. Completely. Yeah, he also he yeah he has no he like way do it. words. He doesn't like try and you know justify it, and he just goes, oh, I was uh, scouting it out. Uh, you know, like it's not. not <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, also, I think it's around. It's around when Al maybe goes to the Bell Union. But anyway, some at some point, uh, Al says people heads this episode. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I have that written down. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's when they're yeah. It's about when crafts. he goes to the Bell like, Union. He says, um, right? "Yeah, it's too complicated for these yeah. people heads." I was like, "Ah, oh, he, he said it. He said it." Apparently, he listens to our podcast and came up with the word because of that. And uh, <laughs> that's really the only explanation. Um, yeah, no, he said it was, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll hear it again. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, the, you know, the titular name of our podcast. So there you go. Uh, so, yeah, uh, also uh, fart jokes randomly in the middle of a, a scene. Did you like this random moment with uh, Farno? I think it's Farno. I did. Dan Doherty, where just I didn't think he was serious at first. When Al just, <laughs> Al just goes, hold on, before we continue, who cut the cheese? And I was like, I assume this means like money or something, and he goes and opens the <laughs> door. That's right. I thought that too for a second. And he's like, if one. Yeah, more there's no you... way that that means the same thing. <laughs> no, it was funny because yeah, I mean, I don't normally. I'm on record as saying, I you know, comedians often say, I'm gonna sound like such a friggin' snob right now. I'm sorry, but okay. um, everyone already you know, comedians like to say like, oh. I know. Well, I, I can't avoid it at this point, I guess. <laughs> but you know, you know, comedians like to say it's like you know. Uh, there's nothing funny, you know. The one thing everybody laughs at is a fart joke. It's, I don't know. I, I've never really found fart jokes funny, really. Uh, an exception uh, recently is the BFG, which I think did them executed. Them oh really yeah, that well. was it. Those were cute. And um, and another exception is this. This is a great joke. Uh, first of all, because you don't hear anything, so you just have Al uh, yeah. stating Wait, it's not that the that's sound what happened. That's yeah, they rely on the sound being funny usually, but in this case, it's the context. Exactly, and that's what yeah. Yeah, it's it's the fact that not only you know it it wouldn't be it wouldn't have been as funny if you heard the sound in the middle of this tense exchange, uh, but it's the fact that Al has to interrupt the exchange because he's just so frustrated <laughs> that it happened and he has to go open the window. It's yeah, it's hilarious. And none of them want to admit to it either. They're all just sort of standing around. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny too because like it's the kind of thing you don't. It 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 usually only exists in two. Uh, in in one context, right? It's either it's a comedy where it's exaggerated to be silly, or it's just not mentioned at all. Like people don't fart in movies. It's not a thing that happens. And in this case, it's like a drama. It's like a serious drama, which you know actually you know obviously has comedy elements to it, but it's a drama where like I don't know, people do human things, like go to the bathroom and you know fart. Yeah, it's just it's just so funny <laughs> to see that represented. And it was for a, you know a, a gag, I guess, but like. That is a very real thing that would happen. I don't, you know, why would we, it's almost weird that we find it, that we're talking about it, but it's just, you know, it's one of those interstitial things that people would leave out of, like, you know, the social network, you know, <laughs> you know, where no and it, well, it's great because no it's in the middle of the social network to go, you know, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, come on, it, you know, that's not gonna It's happen. great because it's like, it's a really funny moment, but it also doesn't undercut the drama of the scene at not the same at time. Um yeah, because it's like Al is still just as scary, you know, trying to track down where this fart came from as he was, <laughs> you know, ten seconds ago talking about whatever else. Uh, but it's just funny that the, all of a sudden the context of of his anger and scariness has changed. 
to this. <laughs> and I like that his priorities expand from, you know, extend from, you know, uh, uh, territory and money and power all the way down to trying to figure out who farted. Like it's it's a whole it's a whole gamut, right? It's it's the whole spectrum. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was I found that very bizarre moment, but really fantastic. Uh, and I'm sure, like, can you imagine being Ian McShane getting to play this role where he gets to be do all of these things? <laughs> he gets to talk about <laughs> fart jokes and like kill people and you know threaten some little girl's life and have these weird you know moments with Trixie. Like it's just. I mean, any actor would love this. This is amazing. Um, so yeah, it's just a f- fantastic role for him. So uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. We move on to Alma and and Brom. Uh, right. Um, so this is the first. This is like the most Alma we've gotten, I guess. That's right. I'm trying to remember. Because um, I'm looking at the HBO recap now, and I don't even think it mentions her. Really? Because um, it just it just kind of strictly the plot beats. Uh, and the plot beat of the scene is it, what it says, which is Garrett tries to enlist Hickok in recovering the money that he was swindled out of. Um, I don't think, yeah, it doesn't, I'm going to control F Alma, zero results. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what goes down in this scene. What, 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 what did you think about this scene so I can, well, <laughs> so I remember what happened? So basically, the, in this scene, um, Alma's sort of, uh, he's very angry. So I guess prior to this, I guess he had gone to... Did he go to see Hickok before? Um, yes, yes, he had. Right, right. So he had gone to see Hickok. Hickok said no. And then right. his, his new plan... I remember was, now, yeah. His new plan was to go see Al by himself, I guess. And Al, we don't. We find this out from Alma, who's like... And to, and to threaten him. <laughs> yeah, to, or whatever he's planning to do, right. So like, we're not sure, but she... And she's... She's not page, like in a mean way, but she's like... Why don't you go for a walk first and see how you feel? And you know, she's basically trying to get him to not do this very stupid thing. And she's also like not bothered. But she's trying to get him out so that she can do her drugs. Well, yeah, but also she's like not bothered about the money. She's just like you know, she's like, why don't we just go home? Yeah, you know, whatever. You know, and he's like, no, I must have my satisfaction. You know, because he's you know. (laughs) And I also love his stupid. You know, you can just tell he went to school. He's one of those school people. Right, like, <laughs> you know, if I'm stooped when I come back, it's because I'm weighed down by the bags of gold, gold that I've gotten back from. Al. I mean, well, shut up! If you come back stooped over, it's yeah. because Al kicked you in the balls. Is what happened. Yeah, it's like yeah, no one talks like that. He's come an on. idiot. He's a moron. And, and, and he yeah, almost I... like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> Did I marry? Even though this probably was not her first choice. At least that's my assumption. <laughs> um. You know, there's clearly, I mean, there's a lot of indication that this was a, a marriage of, of families, uh, of important families who had money or had some sort of Probably. status. That seems to be the implication. Um, so, yeah, and, and she's clearly not happy with it. And what's really interesting is, oh, maybe it's a little bit later, or maybe it's, it is in this scene, where he she turns to get the drugs. Um, and, or no, sorry, he has the... They're having their back and forth, and she immediately goes and gets her, her, her drugs out and starts taking them right in front of him, which she usually doesn't do. And he says – and they have this whole conversation about headaches and about how, oh, the drugs affect the sexes differently or some dumb stuff like that. Because he's like, <laughs> you know, it made me all woozy. When basically she's telling him, maybe inadvertently, maybe sort of subconsciously, intentionally, it's not clear, that 
I don't take the drugs for the headache. I take the drugs because I'm stuck married to you. You know, and <laughs> and it's because she's immediately needs to. She she she's so overwhelmed with the situation that she immediately goes to the drugs. That now, by the way, I don't want to blame. Like, obviously, I'm not trying to say like you're the reason I drink. Like, that's not a good a good thing to say. <laughs> but in this case, she's that's the statement she's making is, you know, she can't handle this fight or she's not getting she's not getting through to him and in order to process this frustration she immediately turns to drugs and again she usually waits till he leaves first and she doesn't do that here so he sort of realizes that where he he says you know like I hope you feel better but he knows full well that this isn't about even Brahm is able to deduce this situation which is that you know she is not a happy wife <laughs> um but like he's he doesn't get that the problem is him not the fact that they lost money or whatever. Like he just doesn't know how to let things go. He's not bright. He's not, you know, he's he may be educated, but he's not terribly bright. It doesn't seem like. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and so then he leaves and comes back, and then actually does try and threaten um, Al, which, by the way, seems to work to some degree because at first he's not even going to see him, and then he brings up the Pinkertons. Yeah, the Pinkertons, um, which they don't explain what. Uh... That is, but it's like a it's like a detective agency, right? Like a or like a. Uh... I think they're lawyers. Give me just one moment. Um, but they're they're a recurring sort of background threat type thing in the show, and I oh, I guess they are a detective agency. Yeah, so it says here uh, that this Alan Pinkerton became famous when he claimed to have foiled a plot to assassinate then President Elect Abraham oh. Lincoln, who later hired Pinkerton agents for his personal security during the Civil War. Yeah, so they're like, um, so they're like, yeah, yeah, like a private security company, um, or I guess like you know private investigators. My 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 feeling is that I can see why a guy like Al might be threatened by that. They sound like what they really are are you know like enforcers, you know maybe they get yeah like 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 yeah like muscle muscle, hired muscle and they're apparently Al is not too keen on them, so he does take the conversation, but as soon as this is Brahms. I mean, he had a lot of faults, but his biggest fault and biggest misunderstanding is that if you're going to threaten Al Swearingen, you have to be willing to kill him then and there. <laughs> because <laughs> otherwise he will kill you. You can't threaten him, walk yeah. out, and assume everything's fine. Like, wh- 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 what universe do you think that would work? Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing. He, you know, uh, it's like... And by the way, why would that work with anyone? You can't threaten someone, walk away, and then expect it to work unless you're like a hitman and like they're afraid for their life if they don't listen to you. You know what I mean? Like in some movies and stuff like that works, but for the most part, if you threaten someone and walk away, they're gonna call the police or they're gonna deal with you themselves or they're gonna like you know call someone to come and beat you up or something. Like you can't just do that. Mm-hmm. But he just thinks he's won the conversation because he's like, oh, I guess we're gonna reconnoiter the brim. Oh, like no, you're not. He's going to kill well, wait, you. That... You idiot. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that's what's interesting about the scene. It's another example of us not really knowing for sure where Al's head is at. Because on the one hand, it's possible that he hears the word Pinkerton and he's immediately like, "Well, this guy's got to go like right now because I can't right. have that. I can't deal with that." Or it's possible that he, you know, just doesn't care. He's not afraid at all. He's going to have him killed anyway. So he pretends to be afraid as part of this ploy to get him to go back out to reconnoiter the rim, which is you know kind of what. Ultimate, which is, you know, either way, kind of what he does, because what he says is, you know, when the Pinkertons get here, first thing they'll do is that. So you better go do that before you call them. Um, so it could go either way. At this point, I'm inclined to believe that Al is probably just playing him at this point, um, just because that's what I've, what we've been led to understand about who Al is and how he interacts with almost every character. 
uh, is that he's just always playing everyone at every at any given moment, except for in Trixie being the exception. Um, but it's a curious his reaction to the Pinkertons is the first time that he it seems possible that he is genuinely threatened uh, by another person, or you know, that or that he's letting someone know that he's taken aback by someone, I guess. Um, Although I guess it happens twice in this episode because it does open with the um, with the Bell Union coming in. So this is kind of an episode about Al being uh, kind of being backed into a corner and having well, to I scrap think, out. I think in this case he's not so much in a corner. He's just made a decision. You know, like at first he was an annoyance, and now he's become problematic because if he really does call the Pink. And by the way, it's like as he makes as Brom makes clear to Alma, he doesn't actually have access to the Pinkertons. Um, oh, that's what happens. So he goes and talks to Al, then he goes to her again, and then he says he's going out to do this, um, to check the, the, the source again. Uh, because he mentioned this whole thing about how he would have to contact his father to even get in contact with the Pinkertons again, and so what did he say? He must have said that to, to Alma. And by the way, this is, I think, when Alma sees uh, Jane for like five, you know, half a second, and then she slams the door, uh, which indicates that there might be some, you know, possible interaction between the two of them in the future. Uh, yeah, well, they're living in the same building right. now, so... But she finally has yeah. another female person to interact with, because that hasn't been the case for almost so far. <laughs> um, and by yeah. the way, we also get... Uh, yeah, so... so Sorry, not to, not to, to jump off of that, but yeah, so I think... Um, it, it's interesting, and we'll, let's just follow this thread, because then, a, a bit later, Dan Doherty goes with, uh, with Brom Garrett to check out their, their claim again. They go up to the cliff, and I, by the way, I love this scene where he murders um, Brom. Like, <laughs> it just starts looking really menacing. And then, <laughs> and Brom just goes, oh, I got, you know, like, no, don't. And then doesn't even fight back. <laughs> like, no effort whatsoever. Yeah. And then just gets tossed off the uh, off the cliff. And I find it hilarious, because, like, why didn't Dan just wait for him to be on the other side so he could push him off? Like, <laughs> He just suddenly looks scary and big, and then throws him. It's it's funny. It seemed like he just wanted to get it over with. That's that seems to be a running theme with with Dan. Well, yeah, I was gonna um, say Dan. I was gonna say that. Al- yeah, for sure. He he definitely maybe he just didn't want to do it, um, or he just wanted to move. You know, yeah, exactly. Move through it as fast as possible. Or... Yeah, I mean, unlike unlike with the past, uh, unlike with the you know the little girl especially, um, I don't think he really gives a shit about um, Garrett one way or the other. I just think he's like, I, I think he's kind of like, look, I had to wait out here for him all morning, and now I have to go back out there and kill him. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, but having to <laughs> so wait I think out he's just like, I just want to. Like, I, I feel like wasn't that they knew there was nothing in the claim. So when he says, you know, yeah, but when, they didn't... later when Al's like, you know, are you willing to go out there and reconnoiter the rim with him again? Like that's all just theater. Obviously, he's gonna go back out again with him. But he seemed genuinely annoyed that he had, to, you know, that he had to sit out there uh, well, and wait. What were they going to do all day? Because uh, you know, what's the did. point? Of, what's the difference if he's standing out there waiting? If you know he's going to stand there while he sifts through what is mounts to just rocks. Well, at least they'd be getting something. Well, I guess they wouldn't be getting anything done, as Dan knows. Right. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, that's yeah. I don't that's know true. that he actually cares. But I mean, it, he probably doesn't. But I, I, which is, I think, ultimately, yeah, I don't think he cares about Garrett or the, any of this one way or the other. Which is why he just wants to. But then deal with it and go but home. Then he finds out that in, ta- in fact this is a, this claim is worthwhile and there is a a, a gold vein, <laughs> which is of course the great irony of this you whole situation. The, I wanted uh, the Kirby enthusiasm <laughs> to play when he finds the gold. <laughs> that would be funny.
funny. Yeah, no, it, it's it's so unfortunate for Brahm, although I'm sure he never would have found it because he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that was that was a good moment. Uh, so one one thing I just want to mention before we move into, I think probably the you know the big scene, which is um uh, the scene in uh, where they're with Bill and this guy, uh, sort of harassing him. And that is the scene with Bill yeah. and uh, Charlie and Jane where they're arguing about him and aren't letting him sleep. I love this scene. It's so <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, it is sweet because these are, you know, both of these characters care very deeply about Bill. Uh, they obviously express it very differently. Um, it's interesting, they kind of express it in uh, in a uh, in a way that based on their how am I how should I say this <laughs> this is I'm gonna be I guess I'll be a little careful about this because uh, I don't want to imply the wrong thing uh, their emotions towards him uh, are uh, gendered in a way that in reverse almost I think normally you would expect or normally you know it's it is expected uh, in, unfortunately that a female character would be more like Charlie that she would be more um, you know compassionate and she, and you know she would be more actively caring and doting and all of that whereas um Jane is is quite the opposite she's all about you know uh don't bother him in in about uh, kind of protecting his masculinity right right, right. Man, just saying, his, yeah. uh, you could see that like if they were and, de- and defending him on that level a teenager or something we might see the uh, yeah exactly yeah they are both kind of playing parental roles but um in terms of you know uh, stereotype. Charlie is much more the mom, and uh, and Jane is much right, more the right, dad. Right. And I think this scene really brings that out when they get to directly go head to head. Yeah, and it's it's so funny when like he's, while he's right Bill's there, like I'm not gonna get to nap by my like entirely, which is just so you know, it's such a cute little scene. Um, but of course, this I guess uh, is this when he leaves to go work on the uh, the shop. When he gets up, um, or he says he's gonna go play poker. Oh, that's when he goes to the Bella Union I... first. He goes to the Bella Union, right? And that's then right. He does go there. At the Bella Union, they say, you know, make sure he's winning. Um, so apparently they can rig games there, which is something we also should probably pay attention to. Um, yeah, even poker, which you know, I guess it depends on who's dealing. Um, so. Yeah, so that's very interesting. But then, uh, so later we have the scene where Bill is helping out at the, um, at the after he cancels the uh, the dinner. But then says, "Can you, um, you know, maybe you can help out with the with the shop?" And so he goes and he starts helping them. And then this guy walks up, who is of course Scully from um, Brooklyn Nine Nine. I don't know if you recognized him. Holy yeah. crap! It yeah. is. It was really funny. Oh I had just God. finished watching season two of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I was like, oh my God, it's Scully. <laughs> um, the really annoying That's guy. That's crazy. I, I didn't... Who's talking about um, his wow. acting ability. That's right. Oh, and he says... Um, he says Hartford, Connecticut uh, he twice. He says I saw him in a play in... Yep. Which, I wrote that which down. Which is important because uh, both Josh and I are from the Hartford area of Connecticut, so um, uh-huh. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh and at first I was, I was yeah. just trying to figure out what stage, but maybe I doubt it's a stage that exists anymore. It was probably just some... Probably some not, yeah. Theater. Well, I, I mean, just generally, I think it's I think it's really funny that um, <laughs> that Bill was ever, like, an actor. Yeah, there's a, there's a indication like that, that uh, he 
he was an actor and also that he had done some card tricks. Which is funny because just earlier in the episode, Charlie had told that guy, like, he's not going to do some stupid, you know, scam. So the, the soap guy, the guy who faked the soap prize in the first episode, yeah, that yeah. he's not going to do this thing. And then this guy's saying, you know, like, it's, you know, some people said that you, you know, faked this card trick where you, you know, shot this card twice in the air or whatever. Um, which indicates that he did something. Whether or not he was, act, you know, he was scamming or not is irrelevant, but he did do some sort of card trick in the past, so it's not like it's outside of his purview. Um, but the reason I want to talk about this scene is really interesting to me uh, in the in relation to the zeitgeist right now around celebrities and tweets. And the reason I want to talk about it yes, is I, I, I just you do you see where I'm going with, going with this? So yep, the yep. drunk guy really rattles Bill, um, and I think this whole epi- this whole moment is all about fame. That's really what it's about. Because first you have this rando, right, just walking up to him, giving his critical opinion for absolutely no reason whatsoever, <laughs> as if he has any right to go up to Bill and just be like, you were terrible at that. No, no, you were really bad. I didn't like your performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, he starts out, and what's funny, yeah, because Bill is willing to laugh along yeah. the first time, right? Because he, he is like, if this guy is genuinely approaching him on like a, uh, you know, kind of a, a friendly level, He's like, you know, oh yeah, I saw you, like in a joking way, I saw you in a play, yeah, you were terrible. And Bill laughs, because he probably knows he was right. terrible. But the guy just, like, keeps going with it, because he's, I think, from the guy's perspective, he's like, oh, wow, I'm getting along with Bill Hick, Wild right. Bill. Um, so he j- but he just pushes he it too far, because uh, he doesn't get... Too. Like, he doesn't seem like oh yeah, exactly, he just seems, yeah, he doesn't really get that, like, uh, after if you say this more than once, it stops being, like, you know, just kind of a, you know... A, a, an amicable right. poke at this guy. It's just just being a gen, just a, literally just a mean thing that you're saying to him over and over. Um, yeah, but then but then yeah, the right, second guy. Right, right. In. So uh, so this is it follows the exact pattern of of these Twitter things. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so f- weird to see this, right? So some guy gives him his critical opinion. Then this other guy jumps in to be like, "Shut up!" <laughs> and like defends, you know, like, "Don't worry, Bill. I've got your back." Um, and not only did he, <laughs> yes, it's exactly and not that. only did he have his back, he gouged out some guy's eyes that had criticized yeah. him, which was <laughs> like, okay, now you're freaking me out, right? Uh, don't worry, Bill, I've defended your honor, yada yada yada. And then when Bill's like, all right, you know, like time to leave, the guy starts giving him death threats, and I'm like, oh my god, he's been rejected by a celebrity and he's giving him death threats. This is exactly what just happened with Leslie Jones and that whole stupid, you know, the whole ghost was... It's the same thing. It's the same goddamn... You know, it's amazing. This is what's happening on the... Yeah. It's the same narrative. And what's funny is that in this... And, and, and what's so sad in this moment, and yeah, he falls back on gambling as his vice, but the that's sort of the symptom, not the, the cause. The cause is, I think Bill's fame is what... He's running away from his fame, I think, is really what the message is here. It's like he came to Deadwood so that he wouldn't be recognized, so he could be... Start over, do something new, even though he has a family that apparently yeah. he's just given up on. Um, well, that's the appeal of the, I guess, a poker table, right? Is like, you know, Jack McCall is uh, kind of breaking the social decorum and just being a, a dick, but uh, the appeal of the poker table might be like, no one at the table is going to tell you how they feel because <laughs> that's how you win poker. You can just sit at a table with three other people and maybe make a polite conversation, yeah, it's, it's but you don't have to worry yeah. about them. Exactly. It's, it's emotionless, and he doesn't have to deal with how people 
feel about him as a public figure. Right. No, but you're absolutely right. And that's you know, why he I, doesn't I don't, like I Jack because to... Jack keeps treating him like the public figure that he is. Exactly, and and not in a uh, and not in a way that's uh, like the first guy who comes up to him about the play initially did. He's not treating him like a normal person, you know, like we're just trying to get along. Right. He's treating him like how a normal person uh, it treats a celebrity uh, that they're trying to get along with, like they think a celebrity wants to be treated. Um, you know, kind of exaggerating everything. That, and it's funny, you know, I think you're right right on the money with the Twitter comparison, and I don't want to, like... I know the origin of this term, and I, it's dumb, and I don't... And that's why I'm kind of reticent to use it. <laughs> um, but the second the guy that comes in... Do you know what I'm about to say? <laughs> the second guy that comes in is kind of like the consummate white knight, right? Yeah, right? yeah. He's like, uh, he's like, don't worry, Bill. I've defended your honor. And then he gets so pissy when Bill is like, I really don't need you to do that right, for exactly. me. <laughs> uh, it's not, you know, it's not your place. It's not your business. I don't really, you know, what am I supposed to thank you that some that you viciously attacked some random guy who I've never even heard of who was, you know, saying some mean thing about me. It's like, I don't care. But the, from the other guy's perspective, it's like, hey, look, I did something great for you. I did, you know, I, I stood up for you. Now you're rejecting yeah, me? Yeah, exactly. What's, you know, I can't believe you, you could be so selfish. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's you like see I, harass, all the time I harass on 30 people online for you. You know, it's the same. And, and, and the, the thing about... <laughs> the thing about that is that you, at first, you know, Bill's angry, and then you just see he gets sad. And and I think, I mean, what I was thinking is, like, imagine being Bill. Some guy, I assume, died. Hopefully, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. But, like, this guy, yeah. guy's got guys that I assume died, right? Um, for you, for no reason, right? So, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like now you've just put that on his conscience, that some guy died because of that. You, I, I have enabled this crazy person to gouge out the eyes of some other person uh, by sure vir- virtue of my fame and celebrity. And, like, that's on me now. I have to walk around with that. And I'm sure this is far from the mm-hmm. first time this has happened. And so, like, and, and that's what happens, you know? That's what happens when, like, uh, just as a comparison, you know, you have those, those all, you know, like, the, that shooting, the home shooting, the Aurora, Colorado one, where he, you know, supposedly was, you know, the Joker or whatever he was trying to do. It's like, you know, what, how does that reflect on, you know, like Batman and like the, 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 that whole enterprise? I'm, Heath, Heath Ledger wasn't around at the time, but what if he had been, a, what if Heath Ledger was still alive? It's like, is that on Heath Ledger? Like, no, obviously not, but like, at the same time, you kind of feel like you're responsible, or you're connected to that in some way. Bill Hickok is not responsible for this guy gouging out some other random person's eyes. Like, it, no, it has nothing to do with Bill Hickok. But it was done in his name. It was done for his purpose, mm-hmm. or for his, for his, you know, this imagined image of him. And like, so that ends up whether or not it's fair or right or logical, it falls on his, you know, like I said, it falls on his conscience. So I think that's it's interesting um, to see that the, the price of the fame uh, enter here and really, uh, you know, clarify why it is that he plays poker and why it is that he came to Deadwood in the first place. Because remember, the other thing yeah, too, is that, he... that uh, you know, when he goes into the light earlier, that also demonstrates the difference between being able to go into a quiet, dark, um, you know, room to play poker versus being outside, you know, with Seth and them, where everyone can see you and bother you and harass you. Uh, these are two very different environments too. One's very secluded and private. Yeah, it's well, yeah, and it's interesting that um, none of the other three people there really stick up for him. Well, Seth um, tells him and I wonder if it's because, away. like, 
That's true. Seth does. Seth has his back, and Seth consistently has his back throughout the show, which is you know a good thing. Yeah, but I mean Charlie, who is his best friend, um, for whatever reason, he doesn't feel comfortable telling the guy to go away. Um, and I wonder if that says anything about, uh, you know. Yeah, that is interesting. There, there has to be a reason. He doesn't say anything to. to there has to be a reason him, that. But he does try and diffuse it a little bit, where he's like, "Oh, pass me some of those pegs." You know, he's trying to. That's true. Yeah, but it's a very, it's very oh, indirect. Yeah, very. He doesn't just say like. But you know what I think it goes back to is what Bill told him in the last episode, which is like, you know, don't treat, don't hurt me around like cattle. I think he's aware that Bill doesn't want to be told True. what to do, and he doesn't want Charlie telling other people how to act around him and dictating how his or life goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, what that leads to is that Charlie feels kind of helpless in the situation where he probably should say something and stick up for his friend, uh, but he does also doesn't want his friend to think that he's doing the exact same thing that the second guy is doing. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, like unnecessarily uh, standing up for him when uh, you know, and Bill like handles the situation. He there's not uh, there's nothing more that he can do ultimately, short of you know beating that guy up or shooting him. Uh, he 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 diffuses the situation fine. And yeah, it, but you know, it clearly affected him. He's it's unfortunate. So depressed at the end of that scene. Exactly, and I think it would have. It might have. I think if you know, if Charlie had stood up, if if Seth had stood stood up, maybe. Uh, Maybe a little louder, you know. Not not that he did anything wrong. I don't think. Um, not that any, or any of them did. Uh, if they had stu- stood uh, stuck up for him like a little more, I think Bill might have felt more compelled to stay because he would have felt like, you know, regardless of how people are going to treat me out here, I know that people have my back. Right. Whereas if he's sitting at a, whereas he also knows if he's sitting at a poker table, he kind of knows the same thing because no one's going to walk up to a poker table and you know interrupt the game because there are three other players there who will be telling you to go away too. Um, because all that matters is the poker right, game right, in that right, instance. Yeah. Doesn't matter what else you're feeling or thinking. That can't come out. No one can, you know, no one's gonna want to uh, interrupt the game because that's seen as rude. But if Pil- Bill's out in the street and he's a public figure in public, then he's seen as public property. You know, that's exactly you just summed it up, and that's what I think. That's what Twitter's done. You know, it's given people direct access to these people. Um, but I think it's the same, it's the, yeah, and that's what it is. And, you know, when you have access, I mean, can you imagine being in the, by the way, can you just this time period running into a celebrity? The chances of that happening, how, mm-hmm. you know, that's crazy. I mean, I know there were less people in the country, <laughs> but, you know, if you were living in Deadwood, the chances that Wild Bill's going to show up, and he would definitely be the center of attention, you know, in the town. Um, it's it, it's very interesting. So, um, yeah, so that that's that's that. We have this... You know this sense of foreboding about his his gambling that it's you know clearly got big problem for him um, and that uh, his celebrity is also a problem um, and uh, yeah so that that'll definitely pick up. I'm just noting uh, interesting um, sort of plot developments because there's that which is sort of less of a like a one punch thing but more of a gradual um, combination of things from the past couple episodes, but the other two things we get here is, one, that the dope guy who's supposed to be working for uh, Al Swearingen is actually getting dope from Cy Tolliver, because apparently it's better dope. Um, and mm-hmm. so he doesn't really have a spy in the Bell Saloon at all. Uh, and the other thing is uh, that mm-hmm. uh, Ellsworth saw what happened to Brom, yeah. uh, to Brom Garrett, which is pretty interesting. Because I mean, honestly, do people not know that Al kills people? <laughs> do they just have proof? 
<laughs> I think if you live in Deadwood, you're probably like, you know, it's one of the, I think it's probably one of those things where like, um, no one talks about it. I don't know whether or not like the NSA is listening in on this conversation right now, but if I had to like make a bet, I would probably, you know what? Yeah. Probably. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. they are. I think it's probably that. If you live in Deadwood, you're like, I don't know for sure if Al Swearingen has people killed, but like, uh, I would be surprised if, I would be more surprised if he didn't have people killed. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think that's the, uh, as often happens in our society, there are often things that everyone sort of just accepts as being, you know, something. And then when you finally get proof of it, you're like, yes. But we also knew this, though, mm-hmm. kind of, right? Like, this isn't really new. Yeah. Um, but, I, I yeah, think I'm so, picking up what you're putting down in regards to our earlier conversation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so, but I think that is, it will be. It does seem like it'll be relevant. At the very least, it'll affect Ellsworth in some way because he doesn't seem like a very, you know, murdery type guy. You know, um, so <laughs> yeah, uh, I I don't want to spoil uh, what's yeah the next couple of episodes, but I will I will look up the next episode title for you because um, okay, episode titles get kind of spoilery. Spoilery. Oh, okay. Um, and also, you don't want to see pictures. You just don't. Oh my God! You okay, really don't. They away. don't even bother. Anyway, the next episode is called <laughs> Here Was a Man. Cool. Hmm, okay. Here Was a Man. Yeah, see, <laughs> I'm just sitting here like, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> yeah, don't click anything on the HBO site related to this episode. I will not for click a the thing. Episode, like, hopefully they don't spoil it when you click the actual video uh, for HBO. Yeah, go, <laughs> because the uh, synopsis, they don't even bother. Like, the main plot point of this episode is just in the photo. And that's actually last week. Oh. I was, you know, they they put a big picture of Cy Tolliver, and I was got really excited, but like I couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> they just, you know, it's just <laughs> right out there. But um, yeah. So next week is here was a man. Um, I presume that means that there was a person, and uh, that person is is no longer there. I guess I don't know. We know about at least one. Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> well, we know about three at this point, <laughs> or four. Um, <laughs> here were a lot of men who are now dead. Um, so in any case, uh, next week is here, a, here was a man and we're hopefully going to get back on a more regular schedule. Um, we've just had a crazy couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. Yeah.